I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Ireland's Birth Stories, a podcast created for women to share their experiences with pregnancy and birth. My name is Cora Gernon and I've created this space to enable women to share their experiences from start to finish without feeling shy about the detail. If you would like to show your support for the podcast, you can do so by visiting my website where you can click on the donation button to make a once-off contribution towards the podcast. Or you can go to my Patreon page where you can gain early access to the episodes every Friday um, by signing up to Tier 2. So thank you to everyone who supported me this week. I really appreciate it. This week's podcast is brought to you by Mama's Hospital Bag, which is an Irish company providing luxury hospital bag bundles and gift boxes to new and expectant mothers around the world. It was created by mothers for mothers. Founded by school friends and mothers, Grace Quinn and Sarah Maloney, Mama's Hospital Bag began as a conversation on a weekend in France in 2018 and has been evolving ever since. It emerged on the simple premise to create a hospital bag experience which is equally emotional and exciting as it is indulgent and hassle-free. As mothers, they experience the excitement of getting ready to welcome a new baby and equally how little time you may have to prepare juggling work, life and family in the lead-up. Having a pre-prepared hospital bag full of luxury brands is something they would have loved as an indulgent treat while also easing up on the to-do list. Mama's Hospital Bag is on a mission to not only provide expectant mothers with everything they need for their hospital stay, in addition to memorable gift bundles, but they also want to bring elegant style and comfort to the hospital experience. They feel strongly that while the hospital may not be the most relaxing of places, it is time you deserve to feel the best you can without compromising on quality and style. Each item is carefully selected to balance comfort and functionality with quality and style for both mother and baby. Since launching, the company has gone from strength to strength, expanding from purely online to being stocked in luxury department stores and has sales from across the world. Due to popular demand, the range has expanded to include gift boxes in addition to pre-packed hospital bags, all from luxury brands. All products come beautifully packaged in their signature hat box, which is designed to be kept as a keepsake for years to come. So if you want to treat yourself or a mum-to-be to an unforgettable gift and unboxing experience, head to www.mamashospitalbag.com and enjoy 10% off the entire range with the discount code MAMA10 valid until August 2nd. So this week's episode is the second part of Nicola's story. So last week, Nicola shared with us her struggles with fertility, the birth of her son, Ted, and also the loss of her little girl, Anna, at 23 weeks gestation. So similar to last week's episode, I do want to put a little sensitive content um warning on this episode that we do continue to chat about Anna's birth and pregnancy after loss, which is... Uh, something that's unspoken about and it's a very tough journey for a lot of women actually that I speak to at the moment they're going through pregnancy after after loss and it's tough it's very very tough so I do just want to highlight that we do discuss that and we also discuss the birth of Nicola's little girl Evie just last year uh, via c-section so thank you Nicola for sharing your story with us so I will leave you with this week's episode and I will chat to you soon. I was quite aware that I was I was like sort of in and out of consciousness. Um, and so while it was, it was almost like your worst nightmare, like sort of being anesthetized but being able to feel everything. And uh, so I was sort of like 
not able to move, but able to hear everything and feel everything. Um, and I couldn't talk. And I just remember uh, going, leaving, kind of moving onto the theater bed and then running, they were running down the corridor with me. Um, and I remember like, you know, my blood type being talked about and um, sign here to agree to this. And like, I, I think I, I think I did find something. Um, and I remember like all I was, not all I was concerned about, but I was very much like, what are they doing with the baby? Where's Anna? Who is Anna? And um, my the midwife who had actually delivered Anna, whose name was Anna, um, and that's not why we named her that. Um, I remember she opened the door to the delivery suite and she was like, hi, I'm Anna. And I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Um, yeah. We picked her name when she was when I was about nine weeks pregnant. Like when I find out, find out we were having a girl. Um, so anyway, I, I remember she, it was almost like she read my mind, and she was like, "I have Anna, and we were going to look after her. And you just you just need to get better." And um, so I was brought to theatre, and I remember my consultant coming in to me, and he was just kind of ashen. He was like, you know everything's going to be okay but that was the they were the only words really spoken to me and that was that was the only thing that was said to me throughout the whole thing no one else spoke to me everyone talked to each other over me and it was like I, I remember at one stage thinking to myself am I dead like no, no one is even acknowledging me or um comforting me like you know it's not like when you're in having your c-section and people are like you're okay and this is happening and that's happening and I suppose they were working, you know, so they were working to get this, mm. get the placenta out. And um, so I think I was in theatre for around 45 minutes to an hour. And um, I, my, I have a vague memory of them putting in a central line, which is like um, into your, it's called, I think they call it an art line, into your artery in my wrist. And I remember the anaesthetist like, digging in to get that needle in and just been like oh my god this is so painful but completely unable to react um and yeah then the next thing I remember is um being in the like recovery or kind of post-op um the next day and it was I think it was about nine or ten a.m and that this had all happened at about four a.m so I don't know, was I awake? Was I sedated? Was I, I'm not re, I'm not entirely sure what happened. And I never really asked because in that moment, I remember I was just so delighted to wake up. I remember just thinking, I remember just having this moment of like when I was in the theater of like, oh my God, Ted, is Ted going to be okay if he doesn't have a mom? And it was, I really, I thought I was dying. I did think I was dying. It was the, it was the very surreal, weird, strange and incredibly frightening time. Um, and I subsequently discovered that I, I'd had, I'd been hemorrhaging really since I went into labour and I'd been passing these clots and um, I had, so I'd lost 2.5 litres of blood uh, in the, in the labour and delivery. Um and I had a transfusion. I only actually had one unit of blood, I think. Um, but yeah, it was just on top of everything. It was horrible. Um, and I felt like I did not deserve that, <laughs> you know, of, of all the things to happen. Um, but yeah, so I stayed an extra night then in the hospital uh, after that um, and I was just I've never felt so zapped of energy after that and when I and when I went in for my 12-week appointment when I was having Anna and um, I my uh, hemoglobin was quite low I think it was like 10.8 or 10.9 or something presumably because of all the bad periods that I'd had in between so the blood loss on top of that, like I was just, I don't even know what it was. I think it was like low sevens when I had the transfusion. Or, um, and 
um, when I was in in recovery and uh, the midwife said to me, um, do you want me to bring your baby down to you? And I, I was just saying like, oh God, I was like, my baby's dead. She was like, I know. I don't know why I thought like that they were just going to wheel down this newborn to me, but I was just like, I felt like I better disclose, like my baby's actually dead. And she was like, I know. And they brought her down to me in like this uh, cool cot. And um, that was when I first properly, you know, really took her in. And um, yeah, I was on my own as well because it was like, nine o'clock and James had gone home to like, get some sleep um, and she was very dark you know it was obvious she'd been dead for a while um, um, but she was gorgeous yeah and she was tiny you know she was I think by the time she actually delivered um, all of the all of her blood was sort of gone out of her so she was only I think she was like 700 she's 750 grams I think she was really light and small um, and I remember just holding her and sobbing and uh, I, I looked over one of the midwives and she was wiping away a tear I was just like the ripples of this were just so far reaching um, mm. and yeah it was so we spent I spent another night in the hospital and um there's so many options, you know, do you want her to stay with you or do you want her just to bring her to the, um, to the chapel or, you know, it was kind of starting that fine balance of like what I wanted versus what I think I should do. Um, But I did, we kept her with me for a good bit. And then she went off down to, um, she did go down to the, uh, the chapel, I think at some point in the night. Sorry. And, um, I remember the next that day myself and James were in our back in the room in unit three and she was there and we all like had a nap together and you know we all fell asleep and just thinking like it was just so devastating um but we we chose to have a full post-mortem there was nothing you know because this was completely unexplained we didn't know what the issue was or what had slowed down her growth and ultimately um, led to her death so there was a lot of paperwork involved in that and um, we also decided to have it cremated um, and we opted to have like a small ceremony in Hollis Street so we had just mm. uh, my dad James's parents and my elder sister come and we just you know it was like 15 minutes or something and it wasn't until about 10 days or maybe it's about a week later um but yeah it was the weeks and kind of months after were followed by just intense grief um this longing to be pregnant again you know I'm pregnant yesterday you know um and I remember just my fears were like bumping into people who didn't know or bumping into people who knew I was pregnant but didn't know that I wasn't anymore. Um, Mm -hmm. And having to tell people, you know, that was just that those are the worst conversations that I ever had with those when I had to say the words, you know, our baby died or I lost the baby. Um, And, yeah, it was we we, about a week after, um, or even less, about a week after the birth, it was a week after the Friday, the doctor rang me to say that uh, it looked like the cord um, was the issue and it was hypercoiled, which is basically too many coils. Um, so it cut the blood supply off to her. Um, it would have been sudden. Um, obviously, it was impacting her growth um, from around 18 weeks onwards. But, um, yeah, so that was... I was really glad to know what happened to her actually because mm-hmm. I I don't know how I don't think I would have coped very well with a complete unknown um and you know it was I remember just feeling relieved that I could explain to people that I could it wasn't just a comfort for me but that I could say to people this is what happened and so you know everyone could understand it's like okay yeah um and I remember, you know, so many people started sentences with at least, and you know, 
at least she wasn't born and then died. At least you weren't, you know, at least she was, it wasn't a stillbirth, which is, you know, anything over 24 weeks is really classified as a stillbirth. And I was 23 weeks when I had her. Um, uh, at least she wasn't born and was sick and then died, you know. And, of course, there was a worse scenario out there. But I remember my sister, sister said to me, like, anyone who starts a sentence with at least can just go away. <laughs> um, and... Yeah, so we, we did. We went back in for a review and talked about everything that had happened. And, um, yeah, it was that was really therapeutic to, you know, get this document that was this postmortem that said, you know, that reaffirmed things for me that I knew, like, chromosomally, or, you know, that she was perfect in every way, yeah. that the placenta was perfect. Well, aside from, you know, the end um and that it was the course that was the the missing link so um yeah it was I remember asking at that review like when can I try again and he was like he said you know for some people um time is all that will help to heal and for some people another pregnancy is the only the only thing that's going to help um and I think I was pretty dead set, you know, and going again. But yeah, that was that was Anna, and um, she was so loved. And you know, her ashes are in my wardrobe, and I I open it every single day, and I'm you know I see them, and I we talk about her a lot. Um, and yeah, she shouldn't be forgotten. I wouldn't say, but um, you had to had to deal with grief again severe grief but also recover from a hemorrhage which on its own is is huge yeah. so from other women I've spoken to it could take three four or five months yeah. to recover and then also your body adjusting to a blood transfusion which I didn't know until speaking to someone recently that's multiple people's blood that you're getting yeah. at one time I didn't I didn't know that so that's a huge undertaking for your body mm. to just adapt to all that so you, you must have had I would, I'm, I'm sure you had a lot of support but I'm sure it was tough mm-hmm. for the few months yeah it was and um physically I was so floored and when they did the they checked my hemoglobin and um, I think within two hours or so of the blood transfusion and I think it was up to like eight point something but they said to me that's kind of a false reading because actually 24 hours after the blood transfusion is when we'll get a much more accurate reading. And 24 hours later, it was back in the sevens or seven something. And um, so they did, they told me it's going to take months for you to feel good. And um, I remember the midwife that night, they rang the consultant to say, should we give her another unit of blood? And he said, no, he said, she needs to rest. She needs to sleep because another unit of blood means another 24 hours they basically have monitoring of constant blood pressure checks and vitals and temperature and and I just needed to be left alone just me James and Anna I just didn't want that level of intrusion so together we kind of said look no I, I don't want to have another one and um, but the consequence was that I, I remember t- I had to take I think it was three galfer a day for basically three months and I find Galford just so hard to take it's so hard in your stomach and mm. um so I, I struggled with that but I I probably I don't think I took it for the three months but I did take it for a long time um but quite quickly I I did feel the effects of it like I'm talking within a week I remember like struggling to walk down the corridor um in the, in the apartment that we were living in at the time and then like all of a sudden being like much you know flying down the corridor being much more energetic um but it certainly added to the emotional kind of toll of it all you know to feel so yeah. sickly as well um and but I just I would say I really looked after myself in that I I you know I did things to suit me when and I I kind of I made no apologies about 
cancelling on people and I do remember a couple of you know a couple of times having to cancel people and you know feeling that they were annoyed about it and everyone sort of wanted a piece of me if that makes sense like people wanted to for their own themselves and you know I think it's a natural reaction you know you you want to see that person and, and grieve with them and help them but it helps you actually and when I sort of said no to that people were a bit peeved at times you know but um I really listened to what I needed to do but I didn't go for counseling and the bereavement team were in touch with me the whole time um and they checked in with me but I just I didn't feel ready I was like I just I'm not I kept saying to James I'm not ready I'm not ready I'm not ready to talk about it um and um it so so I, I, I delivered on the 2nd of November and around Christmas time was was quite dark you know it was we just moved into our house that we'd renovated and I remember just feeling nothing it was you know I didn't feel joy or elation or um or pride or I was just blah um and I remember James saying to me you know we should go for counseling and like we you know not just you but we yeah I was like I just don't want to I don't want to um I just want to get pregnant again I just know that if I'm pregnant again I'll be okay and um so I was like I'm mad when I'm trying to get pregnant again and when I wasn't pregnant at Christmas and like this was like seven weeks later I was devastated um, and considering the trauma my body had been through, like it's a miracle I ever got pregnant. So um, when I, I think it was around, it was around February time, um, we kind of had a, a honest discussion and I was like, I, I will go to counselling, but I want to get pregnant first. <laughs> Why I was laying down these stipulations, I don't know. And I said, I can't handle the stress of, of trying again. And um, so I, you know, I just want to go back and get my, you know, my, my ready-made um, frosty from the clinic and just do a transfer. So we, uh, that was all agreed to. And I remember feeling, you know, kind of once I had a plan, I was like, okay, you know, I started to kind of lift out of, the fog really um and it is foggy you know and I remember this couple of weeks after Alison died as well it's that real mist you just can't see through it um so we went we made an appointment to go and see go and see them and um uh they were he was you know it's you know the, con- the constant explaining it again you know well we lost our baby at 23 weeks and you know you met with the sympathetic guys and the um what happened and you go to go through it all again sometimes you just feel like saying you know please don't ask me any questions um but we had a big long conversation with the um the consultant in the fertility clinic who we both got on with really well and he was like okay look you know we're gonna get you pregnant and you know we're gonna sort this so he said as a starting point we'll just do some blood tests and um the, we had a plan and I remember feeling like walking out of there you know cloud nine just like okay I have a plan um um, can I just ask you something yeah did they bring up the was there a conversation about your fibroids or has that had that resolved resolved itself that was like well I at this stage I'd had a couple of periods and they had been normal so okay I mean when I the it was brought up when I went back for the review after Anna um, with the consultant and definitely um, so while the placenta was normal uh, with Anna it, had, it was underdeveloped in parts and there was a blockage of blood flow um, to my to my uterus on one side so he he did surmise that the it's like hard to say what part it played but the fibroid had had an impact um, at some point but it, they couldn't really say exactly what um, but when I hadn't yet had a scan back in the fertility clinic um, but they just did some blood tests and um, 
I think it was like two days after my first appointment, they did these blood tests and uh, they rang me and um, they said, there's some HCG in your system still. So, you know, we can't go ahead with the transfer. And I remember just being like, oh my good God, like, you know, I had a manual removal of the placenta like how is their hcg still there so i remember saying this on the phone to the the nurse i was like my placenta was manually removed you know um and it was complete you know like how could there be hcg and she said could you be pregnant and i was like jesus i could (laughs) mother's day is around the corner find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from blue nile from timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Um, and I remember taking a test and I was like, yep, pregnant. Um, and, or, but then kind of the worry of, like, am I pregnant or is this some sort of, but I had taken tests, you know, like I am a self-confessed pregnancy test abuser. Oh yeah. So much. Love them. <laughs> like just really enjoy it. It's, Even when there's no, absolutely no possibility, no you're just possible. like waiting. Just, <laughs> pure curiosity if there is a pregnancy test there I will take it you know um day one of my period I will take that so I was just um yeah when like you know so I knew I'd had completely blank negative tests and now this was a fairly positive test so I'd say I took a million more of those tests but um the clinic were so kind they were like look um we'll repeat your blood some 48 hours and we'll do them another 48 hours after that and come in at five weeks and we'll scan you and we'll scan you then again at six weeks and you know and I never I never paid any money I this this just kept rolling and uh, I was like do I pay anyone and they were just like they were just so delighted for us it was so genuine it was like and I know, like, now when I look back, even on my IVF and my fertility treatment, I'm like, was that necessary? Because I'm just not really sure. Like, um, But anyway, they, um, at six weeks, yeah, there was heartbeat. And I remember just, yeah, the, I think the excitement of, of having another baby, you know, was just, it didn't take over the grief, but it sort of, it really helped me through the grief those early weeks I was excited and the the fear didn't re- hadn't really set in yet until I got to about I think I was probably nine weeks or so when 
um, I stopped sleeping. Um, and at this stage, you know, there was obviously, you know, there was nothing to indicate anything was wrong. And there, you know, everything had been very positive. We found out we were having a girl. Um, panorama test was clear. I'd seen my obstetrician. I had been put on um, uh, not warfarin, um, blood thinners, and um, yeah, every, you know, that was just in case there was any um, blockages that you know the blood would obviously flow a bit easier. So, um, I stopped, but I stopped sleeping in around nine weeks and. I remember, you know, like I never have suffered from insomnia, even in like the depths of despair when I lost Alison or the depths of despair when I lost Anna. I like, you know, sleep was like a saving grace and I used to fall asleep pretty okay. Um, and all of a sudden this was, I, you know, I was kind of waking up and um, I'd be on my phone and I was, you know, I was maybe getting three, four hours sleep a night. And... Um, Physically, I felt fine in the pregnancy, some nausea, but again, nothing like extraordinary. And um, this continued on probably, I remember at around, and I, by the way, I never went for that counselling. Um, I don't know what, what stopped me. I think I was just like, I'm pregnant now. Can we just drop that? Um, mm. And then I got to around 20 weeks. And I had my 20 weeks, I kind of had two 20 week scans, like one at 19 weeks and one at 21 weeks. And I remember um, after the 19 week scan and uh, the consultant said to me, you know, so like, you know, great news. Like, how do you feel? And I was just like, I feel nothing. I don't feel happy or sad. I just feel numb. Uh, I came home and just really really upset and I couldn't even get the words out of what was wrong but I was you know I was exhausted and I knew that this 20-week scan was not the silver bullet that I thought it was going to be and I I wasn't going to be fixed and you know now that I was over that mark that I had lost Anna was I going to sleep any better no I was even more terrified and I just was so underprepared for that so I went to my GP and I remember making the appointment and going to see the GP and I was just like sobbed, inaudible. I'd say, you know, at this stage we were, you know, peak pandemic. So my, I remember just like my mask like being saturated. And I'd say she was, you know, kind of struggling to hear what I was saying. Um, but she was so lovely. She was like, Nicola, okay. I, what I had gone there for was like I'm just going to need some like sleeping tablets to get me through and um or at least you know that's how James got me there but um she said we're just, I'm going to refer you back to Hollow Street to the mental health unit and I was just like oh I'm because I, I was so so grateful and happy to be pregnant and then I felt like by going and using this service I was being ungrateful and um but that like when I when I first went to see them when, when they first made contact and my first meeting was over zoom because um because actually I broke out in shingles and um, so I couldn't go in <laughs> to the hospital and uh, again like just a complete you know symptom of all the stress and all the yeah and and my first meeting with her, I, it was just, I talked about everything and it was like, there was so much to get through. I was like, you know, I was, but what I, what I had, what I said out loud, which I had never said or admitted before was um, that ultimately I was more traumatized by what happened to me than losing the baby. And that felt so incredibly selfish and so self-centered and um but that is how I how I felt and how I, I probably still feel to this day you know it was I thought I was dying and I was so to be to say those words to her and then later on to admit it to James and um, was just a weight off and it started a a relationship with with her and with that unit and um, 
which I continued up until kind of very quite recently, you know, quite shortly after uh, after Evie was born. But um, they got me through absolutely no questions and they dragged me along the process and I had weekly calls or meetings um with her um, and like you know she just she became my sounding board when I would say you know I'm thinking of having a planned section or I was like you know I think I need to finish up work and she was just my advocate at every turn um and yeah so it was it was a it was a, a very tough pregnancy and um you know it was it was not easy but I was I still felt lucky to be to be pregnant again you know and that that everything was working out um because pre-20 weeks I just had myself convinced that like the same thing's gonna happen you know and in my head I was like don't get too attached you know just don't love it too much because you know she's probably gonna die um so yeah it was the weeks then leading up to her birth were actually a lot more calm than I thought I was gonna be um nothing happened nobody died nobody you know it was it was like, <clears throat> okay, this might actually go off without a hitch, you know. Um, mm. And I, my uh, doctor was very much like, you know, you've had a VBAC and you can have a VBAC, you know, you are more than capable and, you know, um, but ultimately it's completely up to you. You've had a traumatic experience, you know. He was very much uh, of the opinion that because that the hemorrhage that I had had was related to the fact that I was delivering um a, a deceased baby you know when that, that that wouldn't happen again um so he said let's um you know do you want to do that and I thought about that for quite a while and I really in my in my head I would have loved that but I knew that I couldn't risk an emergency situation for my own kind of mental health and yeah and um, so I probably only made the decision to have a section about 10 days before she was born um, and uh, yeah so I remember like kind of booking that and that was just a real I was like okay you know I can enjoy these 10 days now and you know really just soak it up because as my husband kept reminding me this is your last pregnancy like <laughs> um, you, we've been through enough like but um and I had a really lovely birth with Evie and um, it was so like calm, you know, it was um everyone was so joyful, I felt, in the theater. Um and I remember we had kind of two names going in, but um I knew I wanted to call her Evie. And the anesthetist had said to me, you know, do you know what you're gonna call her? And this is before James had come in. And anyway, um I said, oh, I want to call her Evie, and he has a different name. And anyway, he said, Well, you're gonna win, so it doesn't really matter. And um, James walked into theatre and he said, oh, like, welcome to Evie's birth. And like, everyone <laughs> started laughing. It was just like. Um, They're actually divas for doing that. I've heard that a few times. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it was, it was brilliant. And uh, yeah, she's perfect. Um, uh, screened the place down. But it was, uh, I felt much more prepared for her birth, probably because I'd had a C-section before. And mm. um, I was slightly worried that I might have another bleed but um I was kind of assured that you know everything was on hand to make sure that that didn't happen um so but um yeah it was I stayed in for about three I only stayed three nights after she was born is again we were back in level five restrictions um and um but got a lot of support in there and actually you know with breastfeeding which because I had was really determined that I was going to do that this time but also um I was sort of resigned to the fact that it probably wouldn't work I was like well, it didn't work the first time you know I'll probably give up um and I remember kind of like quite quickly like so I left the hospital quite established at breastfeeding you know vaguely knew what I was doing um, and I remember I got home and the public health nurse came to see me and she was like oh, I think she's got a tongue tie and I was like oh for 
God's sake, here we go, you know. Um, and it was quite a pronounced tongue tie. Um, so we actually got that snip then when she was about, I think she was only seven days old when we got that done and things, you know, improved dramatically. And I, I did a consultation with Kitty and um, she really helped me. Um, so, yeah, it was much easier to feed her. And then I was about 12 days, I think it was 13 days post-section. And um, it was my birthday. It was, a di- it was Yeah, it was my birthday. And um, uh, James said to me, do you want a glass of wine? It was like, I think it was like a Monday or something. And, uh, you know, the novelty of being able to have a glass of wine again. And um, there is like my family joke, like this, two things that I don't say no to. One of them is a glass of wine and the other one is a cup of tea. Like I just never say no. <laughs> so uh, I said to him, I don't actually feel very well. Um, and I think I'm getting the flu. He was like, oh, Jesus, right, okay. So I remember I went into bed and I was, we were still doing a bit of combo feeding with her because my milk had been, you know, a bit delayed coming in and after the tongue tie. So uh, I said, you know, can you just feed her tonight? Like I need to sleep. And um, so fairness, he was like, yeah, absolutely, go for it. And um, I remember waking up during the night and putting on socks and a hoodie and like our house is really warm so I was like mm, you know I said I think I could have a temperature um, and I woke up the next morning and I had like a low grade fever I'd say like 37.6 and um, I ran I was like oh my god I've got COVID how did I get COVID mm. I was just panicked and I rang my public health nurse and she's like you need to bring your GP and um, they will you know they'll put you in a triage and you need to get a test or whatever so I was like okay um you know because they were like how's your wound I was like grand and and remember she said to me have you had any increase in bleeding and I was like yeah like yeah you know I have actually um and Anyway, she said, look, if you don't hear back from your GP within like an hour, you know, in the triage people, um, you, you need to bring Hollis Street. So at this stage, I kind of, I, I rang the GP and I waited, I think I, I waited till about 11 or 11.30. And when I hadn't heard back the in, in that interim period, I started to bleed quite heavily. And I, my temperature was now 38.5 and... I was really unwell and I was I kind of had these like rigors, like shaking really violently. Um, so I ran Hollow Street and I remember like I rang back to the um, Mary Wing where, where I was and I was like, um, oh, you know, I couldn't like, I just couldn't even talk. Like my teeth were chattering so much and uh, I burst into tears and she was just like, you need to come back in immediately. Um, it sounds like you have you could have an infection and so I was like oh my god I remember James's parents came to look after Evie and um, you know kind of kissing her goodbye and I was just like you know I'll be back in a couple hours like um, and we went to, because again of COVID they had to you know I didn't have a test or you know I did, they couldn't rule this out so um, I had to call when I got outside and they would clear a room for me and um, put me into isolation. But we got there and I was like having contractions basically the whole way in the car. Um, and when we got out, like, I was just in such a bad way when we, we ran when we got there and they said, yeah, it's actually, Amy's gotten busy and it's going to be a while. So just you know sit tight and someone will come and collect you from the car so I was like okay you know just trying to distract myself and it was like labor like they were coming every two or three minutes and I could feel like I was you know with every contraction I was passing blood and um I was at this stage like on fire like just I knew I had you know my temperature was going up and up so I was an hour waiting in the car for them to come out and event. That's ridiculous. That's so dangerous. So dangerous. And I know that they had to, you know, make sure that they had to have an isolation room. But ultimately, like I was in, like I was really bad. And they looked at your history. I know. Like it was so I, I'm sorry. It took another phone call 
from us being like outside actually James took my my wife we're waiting an hour now and she, uh, she's really unwell and um so anyway this the midwife came out they brought me into the hospital and I was like the leper like there was you know they were shouting down the corridor like clear the corridor clear the corridor and and um, people were you know backs against their wall backs against the wall it was like you know it was it was really awful and I remember I was really struggling to walk but nobody helped me there was no wheelchair like I was just sort of watched as I slowly like crawls down the hall and um I remember I walked into A&E and this midwife said to me, have you not taken anything? Like as in, you know, are you not managing your, your, your pain? Like two paracetamol. Paracetamol, yeah. And I said, well, you know, obviously what I wanted to say was, actually I've been waiting outside for an hour and I was due to take two more paracetamol, but I couldn't because I was in the car and I didn't have them with me. Um, but what I just, I think I just said like, I've run out. <laughs> and um yeah so I was like quite quickly diagnosed with an infection but they didn't know where and, and they didn't know from what so um my temperature was now like 39.8 um and I was like I you know they, they kept saying to me you know just relax just relax but like it, it, I kept trying to say to them this isn't actually voluntary movements it's completely involuntary um and James couldn't be with me obviously so I was on my own but um yeah it was really unpleasant and and I remember this the same like absolutely gorgeous male midwife was like getting a milk sample from me to obviously to test it I remember just lying there like half naked melting with you know uh with this temperature and feeling just horrific such bad pains and passing blood and just like being milked by this man just being like oh my god this is the worst day of my life um and yeah the they so I was I remember the the uh, midwife or I think it was a doctor actually came in to see me and she said um so we're going to get you like I think I was already on the IV paracetamol but she was like we're going to get you on an IV antibiotic and and I was like okay so like when you know like will I be able to go home this evening and she was like no and I was I was just so taken aback by that I was like what how long and she said well uh, probably 48 hours definitely 24 hours um so oh, look you know it was just I it was just another like thing. It was like I cannot believe this is happening, um, and it turned out to be endometritis, um, basically an, an infection in my uterus, um, so not in the scar, um, but I, you know, it was, it was like all my blood cultures came back with. I didn't have. I wasn't. I remember them saying to me like, "Well, the good news is like it, you're not septic," and I was like that is good news. Like, <laughs> I didn't, hadn't even thought of that. Like, um, but it was that scary. would not have been good if you were sitting in the car park for an hour and that was going on. Yeah. yeah. And I could have been, and then like, you know, them saying to me, why do you just like, why have you taken your paracetamol? Like, and it was just, you know, they were so, you know, I, when I was there, I couldn't have faulted it. And, you know, they were really on the ball and, but like, it was, it was not, it was, it was very, very unpleasant. I remember like I was in and I was, I took a really long time for my temperature to come down and I was on the IV antibiotic and the paracetamol or whatever. And then I get a phone call from the GP, like, hi, triage here, you know. I was like, yeah, I did mention that I was like 12 days post-op, post-C-section and you're ringing me back like six hours later. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I remember people saying to me, thank God you didn't ignore it. You know, and I was like, I couldn't have ignored couldn't. it. Couldn't. No, it doesn't sound like you could have. I was so ill. Um, so I stayed in for two nights. And the first night, um, I was actually too sick to bring EV in. Like my temperature was still high and I was shaking and I was still passing quite a lot of blood. And um, so I opted not to have her with me. And I could, but I could have. 
Um, and then when I realised I was being kept in another night, I had James brought her in. Um, and yeah, so I remember thinking, you know, kind of a bit of relief. I was like, oh God, mm. I can stop breastfeeding now. And no one will, no one will, you know, say to me that, you know, you haven't tried. Um, but as soon as she was brought back into me, she just was like, mm-hmm. latched straight back on and, you know, everything just worked seamlessly. So I was really glad about that. But yeah, quite an ordeal. I think then I was home about, I'd gotten home and about 24 hours later, I, I took my temperature and I still had a bit of a temperature. Um, it was like 38.2 or something. And I remember thinking like, yes, I don't feel 100%. And um, then I got a phone call from the hospital to say that one of my blood cultures had come back and that I was on the wrong antibiotic. So um, I had to change to a new antibiotic. And then, yeah, I felt remarkably better. But um, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> from such an, like a seamless birth and you know I felt good I left after three nights I discharged myself I wasn't meant to leave until the next day and then that night I was just like I found it lonely in the hospital by myself you know I was like I kept saying to people kind of like prison but with better food you know so you can't really leave your room you can go to the water cooler but there was no interaction with anyone else you know aside from James and he could only stay for a couple of hours at a time it was lonely so I remember leaving the hospital being like, see ya, you know, Mm. bye, delighted, and only to be back two weeks later, tail between my legs, you know. (laughs) But um, your body has just been through the the mill the last few years. It really has. Really has. And it's like, you know, the odd fleeting time I say to James, ah, we might have a third. And then I just remember all the shit. And I'm like, God, no, you know, but I still, I, I tell, still have those moments for a while. Yes. You know, of will I, won't I. Thank you so much for sharing your story and being so honest. Thank you for having me. I have tagged Nicola in the show notes and also on the Instagram page if you want to reach out to chat to her. She's more than happy for you to do so. As always, if you'd like to share your story, you're more than welcome to. You can get in touch through the website, which I have linked in the show notes here, or you can just reach out through Instagram. And I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Chat to you next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 